Fitness Performance, the podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Alison. And I'm Carissa. And we'll be talking about theatre, dance and live performance in Australia once a month here on Witness Performance for our subscribers. There you go, that's a little station ID for everyone. Where do we want to start with chatting? <laughs> oh my goodness, let's just start with an amazing radio voice you have to <laughs> say. <laughs> I was just thinking yeah. I was very impressed. It's yeah. never gotten me any work though. Oh. Never got me onto radio. Have you, have it, have you got, tried it? No, not a lot. No, no well there you go. Basically, <laughs> it always struck me that like if you were going to do that, they want a tape of what you can do. Like a, a like Yeah, a, you know, they like, do a like, video demo thing and it's, no, it's a bit weird, yeah. yeah. Because I've got one of those out there and it's embarrassing. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, I've got no agent to do anything. Anyway, anyway this yes. is not what we were talking about. <laughs> yes. Sorry but to thank you. Stray. <laughs> um, well, so, all right, shall we start with what we think of where we think Australia and theatre and performance and criticism is at the moment? Well. <laughs> <laughs> Hear that awkward pause, listeners. <laughs> That's a big question. It's a huge question. Why do you start with that one, Rob? Like, how about something specific? Okay. Make a suggestion then, Alison. <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about well, okay. Let's begin with criticism yep. and where criticism is mm-hmm. in Australian cultural discourse. Ah, no. that's ah. not a big question. I think um, it's a slightly smaller small question. question. I just to yeah jump in. I think that particularly when looking at Indigenous theatre, a lot of like I've been seeing a lot of reviewers that haven't necessarily had the. The knowledge required to sort of weigh in on certain things. I think that's a big thing that if you're going to review a certain kind of show, you need to have the background info. I mean, yep. I mean, this yeah. this applies generally in theatre, I think. Yeah. And um, but particularly with cultural issues like Indigenous theatre, mm. that where there's different traditions and yeah, and a whole culture. I mean, I know when I'm writing about Indigenous theatre, I'm so aware I don't have the cultural knowledge. So hence Carissa, Mm. who we we ought to mention, (laughs) is our emerging critic this year. So Carissa will be working with us all through 2018, writing essays and reviews. Yay. Yay. I mean, Carissa, perhaps talk a little about your background. Oh, okay. Well, I'm a Flinders graduate. I graduated in 2010 with an acting degree and um, worked in the arts sector for a bit. I was working as the Indigenous Arts Coordinator and Writing Coordinator at SA Writers Centre for a bit. And then I moved to Melbourne, where I'm now doing my PhD in Indigenous Theatre, as well as working as a research assistant. So... Yeah, with my acting background and also being a bit of a, an academic nerd sort of a this thing. It's like perfect fit. Yeah, <laughs> it kind of works, I guess. But yeah, I just absolutely love looking at performance and and I find it makes me a better actor, I think, to know that sort of stuff, I think. Yeah, yeah. and, you, and you'll, you'll be able to bring to the work you see, not only Indigenous theatre but also non-Indigenous work, you'll be able to bring a perspective that's a bit different from what Rob and I can bring. Yeah, and I think fun. that's one of the things we were really keen on when we started uh, talking about the idea was that one of the, I'm sure you you can attest to this, that one of the habits of Australian theatre and performance is to turn to Indigenous critics or performers, etc., for specifically Indigenous shows or yeah. issues. Mm. And while that's obviously important because you can speak to the culture and you have the kind of cultural background that, and say... expertise that we don't yeah, have. Yeah, that we don't have. Yeah. It feels like it's a kind of ghettoization still. Oh, totally, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And it can be a little bit problematic, particularly where 
there's this kind of blanket definition of what Aboriginal or Indigenous is, is like they don't necessarily take into consideration that there are different mobs. There's mm. like Koori mm. mob, there's mm. Nunga mob, there's, yeah, we're all different and we all have different stories to tell. And, and I mean, you know, I know it's a bit tricky to find someone to write about every particular thing, but when it comes to looking at that in a cultural way, it's good to sort of acknowledge and be aware of the fact that not all Indigenous shows are going to be the same. Mm. So there's that kind of thing as well. Yeah, you kind of end up being a one-stop black shop when yeah. it comes to <laughs> getting feedback. Yeah, a lot of mob get sort of lumped with the same kind of questions. Like, oh, what, what's a more Aboriginal way to do this? It's like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, I think... That I think are getting a lot better. I think people are getting a bit more conscientious about the more mob-specific kind of material that people are working with. Yeah, I don't know. I There are some reviewers that are really great with that, but I feel like we're still needing to see a bit more diversification within the Aboriginal definition. Mm. Well, and across the industry, diversification is oh, yeah. like a massive <laughs> yeah. thing that it needs to deal with, right? Yeah, um, yeah I mean, it, you know, it began with the question about gender. Yeah. And that's still a problem in Australian culture generally and mm. in Australian theatre. I mean, things have been addressed, but yeah. the problem is the default. It, if it's not continually pushed, and this is just with gender, um, it's it slides back mm. to the default and mm. and race is actually it seems to be a much trickier question mm. yeah i think um yeah with so much diversity happening yeah particularly with gender it's yeah that's another thing that reviewers and other mob need to take into consideration when they're looking at shows is things aren't just male and female it's mm. you know there's other other levels of gender and orientation and that kind of a thing now and it's i mean it's always been the way but it's people are becoming a bit more savvy with regards to that complexity of people now. Well, just not centering white, male, cis, heterosexual, which is the normative standard in European culture. And and I I think we all who don't conform in various ways all feel the centering of that. But that's a really complex issue of undoing the kinds of conditioning that happen when you're mm. you're raised within that culture. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I do think that one of the things we all need to do as critical voices is to be really aware of where we're coming from. And I'm, I'm not talking about simplistic kind of privilege stuff, though obviously that's a thing. But um, just really thinking about how our subjectivities are made mm. and mm. what that means in approaching other work, which is an interesting thing to do. Yeah. Anyway, it's one of the things I like about being critical is that kind of to and fro. But it also means that it used to annoy me when I first started blogging and there was all like, oh, my God, the critic has died, the death of the <laughs> critic. <laughs> all the bloggers in their basements, yeah. you know, destroying the authority of the critic. And I was going, what bloody authority? You know, like, yeah. what authority? <laughs> it was always men. Because critics have almost always, Mm. always been men, Mm. white men, Mm. not always heterosexual, but, you know, etc. But there's a particular voice that that absolutely was centred and it's institutionally embedded and it's still dominant. Mm. Well, and it's going to stay that way until the systems are changed fundamentally. Yeah. Like, it's brilliant that there is so much awareness and attention being brought to these issues, but it's easy for, I think, the big companies and institutions to pay lip service to that and make a kind of pretense at it. But as long as the fundamental structures of the systems which support the industry and the community that we're a part of remain the same, 
the machine is going to keep doing what the machine does. So yeah. It'll keep bringing us what the machine produces, which is fundamentally kind of white, male, middle-class, Eurocentric playwriting. Mm-hmm. Um, and Not that there's anything wrong with that, well, by the way. We, we love it. We love it. Sometimes fairly dull. It's not the only <laughs> – well, that's true too, oh. but the assumption that it's the only thing. And it's a new yeah. thing is the other thing that kills me, right? Like that this – especially in Australia, the, the focus on – what is fundamentally a kind of very middle-class idea of excellence and performance mm. and canon and culture yeah. really was only brought into Australia the way we recognise it in the 40s and 50s. And before okay. that, it was way more commercial mm. and still very white and still very patriarchal. But by that stage, it's the 1800s we're talking about. And so it doesn't have the same kind of entrenched kind of pocket of culture and the silo nature of it because it was much more about whatever pays and whatever they'll come to see. Okay. Um, mm. But at the same time, there are still the structures underneath it that enforce and So, repeat. Carissa, how, how does this kind of structure impact on Indigenous performance? Mm. Um, well, I think that there's a, a definitely a white Eurocentric idea of what Indigenous theatre is. And a lot of the time it seems to be, you know, blackfellas and laplaps kind of going there to be, you know, either the, the noble savage or the mystic black or you know, basically a doomed character a lot of the time, which is really unfortunate. Yeah, I think that we're seeing more Indigenous writers, particularly people like Nakia Louie, it's just doing amazing stuff like, you know, the Black is the New White that opened at STC. It's a really amazing play. And there's um, there's going to be a play that's at Malt House called Brothers Wreck. It's absolutely amazing by Jada Alberts, another really awesome Indigenous playwright, and particularly women too. It's just it's really great to see that. So I think we're starting to head in that direction where more theatre companies are taking on plays that aren't just that museum theatre kind of an idea. Like, like MTC are doing Astro Man, which is a really great play that's about you know, black kids. Which is being one of daggy. our live nights, by hey, the way. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> that's a great play to have there. Yeah. yeah. And it's just really cool because you got this idea of, you know, we're human. We're not just a cultural presence. We I mean, obviously that comes with us because that's just who we are. But at the same time we have heartache. We we have daggy moments. We, you know, sometimes need to have a coffee before we leave the house. It's just, you know, we're still human beings. We don't just go on stage to die. (laughs) And the other thing is that uh, something I've noticed in particularly, say, British reviews of Aboriginal visual art or something, this idea that Indigenous culture can only be kind of archaeological or Mm. of interest as some kind of historical anthropological document oh, totally. and, it, and it's not art? Yeah, it's um, when I was working at Tendanya, it's this um, Aboriginal art gallery in Adelaide, I was working in the gift shop and in the gallery and so many people would come along and, you know, we'd have stuff that was a bit more modern, like we'd have sculptures, we'd have watercolours, we'd have different kinds of paintings and bits and pieces and people would go, oh, where are the dot paintings? <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, we have them, you know, we've got some here and we sell them, but that's not all we do. No. <laughs> but, you know, that's one particular area that does dot paintings. Another area does weaving, another area does those really cool paintings where you can see the insides of animals and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, you're totally right. Like there's this historical idea of what Aboriginal art is and people would come to that gallery and expect a certain thing and I remember last year when I was working as an usher at the Malt House a similar thing happened with um oh there was a show called uh, Black Showgirls Nikia Louie's amazing show and 
I think people came there expecting a lovely night at the theatre. We're going to have our little token Indigenous show we're going to put in and, you know, do some good. And they came away being terribly offended and I loved it. It was great because at the end of the show, they they basically tell you how it is. It's like, well, there is this white entitlement and this is happening, just so you know. And I think a lot of people walked away feeling like this wasn't what I signed up for. And I think that's great. I think there need to be more shows like that because, yeah, there is this preconceived notion of what an Indigenous show is. And I think, yeah. Yeah, it's, I remember a really particular cool. conversation after Black Medea, which oh. was Wesley Enoch's show at the Malthouse, which is many years ago now, yeah. having these re- weird arguments with um, people who were saying things like, that's not properly Aboriginal. Oh, my God. Because he's, and what's enough. this about yeah. appropriate using a Western story that's not, and well, it's, it's not like, Western, what? it's Greek. Like, no, it's Greek for a start. <laughs> you know, this mindset. You know, and the, the the kind there was a kind of weird outrage at appropriation going that way. Oh, which was bizarre. <laughs> That's sort interesting. Of a time for when we were struggling with the notion of appropriation as well, mm. and because it's black media was sort of around the start of uh, Simon Stone and Hayloft mm. doing that. It was of, before then. Yeah, not yeah. longer beforehand. Yeah, and there was at, sort of at the same time as the anxiety around criticism and what what the role of the critic is. All of that mm. seemed to this seemed blow a different up. thing in quality to me. Like, was this around the same time as Catherine Brisbane? That like she was that really amazing reviewer. Who did no, it work. was Catherine back in the sixties. This is sort of the like early oh. late nineties, early. Actually, 2000s. yeah, it would have been because Deb Mailman was in that show. Yeah, yeah it yeah. was probably two thousand eight or something like that. Not that long ago. No. Yeah. And, yeah, some of the conversations were very weird. Oh, that's really strange because, I mean, there's this weird thing of who gets to decide what's Indigenous. Well, there's a demand for authenticity Mm. that is asked of of that work because it was Aboriginal that wouldn't be asked of any European in fact, just, yeah. when you think about the changes that happened when Playbox went to Malthouse, which yeah. turned into Malthouse, and the um, redefinition of what an Australian play was, mm. that was basically came down to, and if Australian made it, then yeah. that's an Australian Absolutely, play. Absolutely, yeah. the same for an Indigenous work. Totally. An Indigenous person made it, that's an Indigenous work. Yeah. 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 And although, you know, historical plays do have their place, and it is really important to educate and make sure that people know our history and that yeah. sort of a thing, but a lot of the time it does feel like it's grief fodder. It just... Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just, it's interesting how it can be sort of staged that way. Uh, well, yeah, a lot of the majors, when I've seen kind of specifically Indigenous plays, whether or not they've been commissioned or they've been bought in, are always the same kind of story. They're always that kind of hard luck story. They're mm. always the, uh, the Indigenous are always the victims in it, etc. Yeah. And which is an important thing to be putting on stage and an important thing to reflect about Australia, but is not the only thing to, only story to tell. And Absolutely. again, it comes down to, um, well, this is the picture we have of you. Right. Yeah. Like, well, how much dull. of that is also some kind of instinct of wanting? You think it's like a white exploration, right? Well, indigenous people to perform their suffering. Oh yeah. For the yeah, white gaze, yeah. like yeah, does I that interest? Maybe. Uh, maybe like a, I think in a way, yeah. Because I remember talking to a, an indigenous producer and she went along to see a show that had been written by a white fella and that was, you know, it was that narrative where a black fella basically dies on stage. And there were all these people around her crying and, you know, white fellas were crying and then, you know, they left the theatre and she felt so angry because it felt as though, is this your 
is this like your cleansing? Is yeah. this is this your repentance or yes. something? Like you get to come along and I've cried and I'm done. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> the feeling a bit bad about Tibet experience, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's. I mean, that's kind of. I don't know. I mean, it, it's tricky to answer that because I think. Uh, you know, not necessarily everyone wants to even see that, but they feel like they have to. It's like, oh, you know, we did the wrong thing. We have to go along and see this. Mm. It's like, come on, guys. Like, it, yeah, some horrible stuff has happened, but there are other stories to be told. Yeah, we need yeah. we need stories for Indigenous people too. We, mm. I mean, because Blackfellas, we go along to these shows. Like, there have been shows that I've gone along to, and afterwards we're like, you're preaching to the choir. We know. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yes. We know it hurts and it sucks, but making the actors, making the writers, making the audience relive that pain mm. – is is it worth it? Like, it, it better be a pretty good story to be worth it, I think. Um, and it has to do more than that, surely. Yeah, it has to inform yeah. and change people. Like, I remember having a bit of a debate with my partner about that the other day. He was saying, oh, you know, how can you tell when it's been done from a place of integrity? It's like, well, if they've done it to put sort of display someone else's grief and that's it, I think that's not really ideal. I think there needs to be a message. There needs to be a responsibility given to the audience as well, which is what I think Black Showgirls definitely did. They turned it around and said, oh yeah, you know, this is what happens. White entitlement can result in this. And yeah, in the end, they were sh- they were visibly affected by it. And I think that's great. Mm. To me, the definition of theatre is you can't be the same as you were when you went in. Mm. I think that is that it needs to be like that. And I don't think that's asking too much. That's pretty much art. art right? yeah. Exactly, yeah. You must change your life, as Rilke said. Yeah, I mean, you can, yeah. you can be entertained, but you can still be changed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, something I think we all have to aspire to. Yeah. I think also there's a thing about the way Australian theatre and theatre generally in that kind of um, traditional European mode is incredibly presentational as well. And this has been a big thing of mine for all of my work is that breaking down that kind of barrier between the audience and the um, the performers because there are traditions of that kind of vaudeville sort of mm. sing-along kind of everybody be in the room together and make kind of the performance happen as opposed to we get up here and perform a thing, which has always been my experience of the kind of best Indigenous work that I've seen as well is about everybody in the room. It's mm. a kind of almost... Um, it's almost more like vaudeville than it is a straight play. It's kind of like an immersion. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like we're all here and we're all telling the story together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which like is them. what real theatre should do and was designed to do 2,000 years ago. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Just quietly. Just quietly. <laughs> Gibson and Strudenberg have a lot to answer for, but you'll hear more about that from me as we go along. <laughs> Though we love them too, maybe, yeah. a bit. Well. Maybe, maybe. They're questions. useful source texts. <laughs> exactly. They're interesting yeah. places to start from. They, they're a good place to learn from. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the first things we're doing for Witnesses, uh, we're presenting a series of critical workshops for the Kia Choreographic Awards, and we're also covering and reviewing all of the shows. We certainly are. Yeah. Are we looking forward to that? What are we thinking? We are very much looking – well, I – we – Adopting the royal we. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I am looking forward to it. What about you, Carissa? Yeah, definitely. Have, have you written about dance before? Um, I wrote a bit about it in uni, um, yeah, having to do reviews and stuff uh, in second and third year. But, yeah, it's going to be really interesting playing with language and looking at how to write about these guys. It's going to be really awesome. What about you, Rob? Just thinking about that. Um, I mean, we've all written about performance mm. and yeah. dance's performance and, and the Kia Choreographic Awards, which is – Basically, an annual award that is for developing uh, new choreographic work, and so there's eight finalists who are, all perform their works 
at Dance House in North Carlton, then the winners of that go to Sydney and they have a performance at Carriage Works and the winners decided from that. Oh. So, And the eight finalists have been chosen by an international jury Ooh. and it's a way to see some really very interesting contemporary dance and emerging dance. I mean, it's, it, if you look at who the shortlistees are, and they're all on the website, you will see that it's going to be a couple of very interesting nights. They present all eight works over two nights, and they're short works. They're like 20 minutes long. Well, what kind of stuff are you guys going to be doing in your workshop? I mean, without giving away spoilers, obviously, but... Uh, well, yeah. it's all right. We don't mind spoiling workshops. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not going to run the workshop on the radio, so it'll be fine. Yeah, um, nice. <laughs> well, so we have three. Well, you're taking the first one, I'm taking the last one, and there's a sort of group one after, which is the first live night that we're doing, yeah? Yes, it's it's like a hugely extended live night, yeah. and this is for an intimate audience and it's for people who, because contemporary dance can seem kind of baffling mm. because there's no words to latch onto, because there's a whole language and often it's very theoretical language around mm. contemporary dance mm. and it can just seem like I don't know where to begin. Like, a, you know, a lot of contemporary visual art, I think for the general audience member, it's often quite intimidating to come to work like that. And one of the things we want to do at Witness is to create invitations ways in which people who otherwise might feel intimidated by their lack of knowledge to come in and just understand that all you have to do is watch this stuff is not actually asking anything else except that you pay attention. So we're doing two workshops which are about unlearning a whole lot of cultural attitudes that we have about approaching art. And in the middle, as part of the package, you see both Kia programs and there will be a live night with I believe a glass of wine hey. and um, where we just, which means we just talk about the show afterwards oh nice yeah. be interesting actually so because I have not had a lot of experience writing for dance I've done it a couple of times for when I was reviewing for beat or for what was the other thing I reviewed for oh theater alive and I used to have to go when I was on the panel for the green room I used to have to go to dance a lot for that and it's really interesting like to say uh, to say that uh, all it asks is for you to watch is true, but there's also an active interpretive element to Absolutely, it as well. Otherwise, yeah. it becomes very abstract mm. um, and can just be watching bodies move around on stage and be very beautiful. And that's all gr well and good. Or not beautiful. Or not beautiful. Or whatever. I mean, you do have to. I think one of the things I love about writing for dance, even though I don't feel um, nearly as well read in dance as I. I mean, I've been going for a few years now, but say in theatre, I'm sort of very yeah. comfortable and I understand a bunch of traditions and histories in ways that I don't, I'm learning with dance, but but I do like it because there are not words in it. Mm. As a writer, mm. I think it's <laughs> this marvellous thing and it does force you to look at pure performance, like yeah. what are these bodies on stage and what are they doing? Mm. Yeah, it's like pure story. Yeah. Yeah. Or even not even that sometimes. Pure movement. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And and sometimes fact, it is abstract. But you've still got the literal body right in front of you. Yeah. And I find that really fascinating. It's really difficult to write about. It's really cool. <laughs> how much would you say that you write about how like a performance makes you feel? I always do. That's awesome. Yeah, not not it's not the whole review, but it, but it's so much 
I think about being an audience member is about the relationship with where you are and yeah. what's happening in front of you, and that is you as a, a living, breathing, feeling person. Yeah, so I think, of course it's part yeah. of it, isn't it? Like with when watching stuff like dance or um, circus or anything like that, I find because I can't necessarily come up with a rational way to word what I'm seeing sometimes it does you have to sort of fall back on what you're feeling and how it makes you feel and then how the movement kind of navigates you through that I think that that's kind of how I look at it a little bit that's where I start yeah it's always with the felt thing and you start interrogating that the live event sort of asks that from you anyway that again I come back to what our experience of live performance theatre dance etc has for a really relatively long time been just presentational whereas the job of an audience or of a critic or of anyone who goes to these things is to turn up experience something together and feel a ways about it hmm. right? and come together and well, as I think it's, I said in one of the videos I called it an act of collective empathy yeah where yeah, you yeah. come together and go we've all been through a thing together what do we feel and what do we think about that yeah. which is kind of what the live nights yeah. are about as well yeah. come together and say us 30 people did a thing together or had a thing done to us. <laughs> well, that sounds we alarming. <laughs> well, it depends on the show, right? It does, yeah. it does. Too. But, yeah, I have the same kind of I'm, – I'm intensely aware of the kind of phenomenological moment of, of dance. I can lose myself in a play because I get caught up in the story and all that sort of stuff, but I'm very aware of everything that's happening in the room, so mm. audience, the relationship between the audience, all of that just becomes really hyper uh, sort of – Foreground. Like Fore- yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Both of those words are what I'm looking for. And I think that's something, for me anyway, unique to dance. Mm. Uh, because it's so about the body in space yeah. and then you're here with a whole bunch of other bodies in space. Mm. Yeah. But there's so many different kinds of dance. But Yeah. Yeah, yeah and so much theory underlining it as well. And again, all fairly, fairly relatively recent. Australia's dance history... Uh, like, or at least it's Australia's um, uh, European dance history is not that old either. It's less than 100 years maybe. Um, it's usually dated from the... Sort of Peggy Van Praal taking yeah. over the Borovansky Ballet, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah which is the s- 59, 60? Mm. Yeah, yeah. But then there's that other history that goes back, whoa! Whoa, yeah. <laughs> but then it's a completely different thing is the other thing. Talking to Jacob about, about it as well, so I talked to Jacob oh, um, yeah. for our first video, our first history, Jacob Bohm, I should yeah. say. Yeah, so I'm just gossiping now about <laughs> who, I, who I happen to know. Um, yeah, he's wonderful. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Incredibly intelligent. And we were Very talking funny. about, yeah, I want a lovely guy as well. Yeah. Uh, and we're talking about how um, the difference kind of culturally between I'm talking about Indigenous performance because mm. I don't want the history to start with colonisation because thousands and thousands of years of communal performance here beforehand, yeah. of which I'm not an expert in. So talking to him about it, the questions I had about or that I uh, would normally come to European theatre with just don't apply because it's mm. a completely different relationship with the community. Yeah. Um, and I feel the same about dance. Mm. And, like it's understandably, it's difficult to get to a lot of that kind of history because a lot of it's been lost or a lot of it is kept close to the bone for obvious reasons. Um, But I think there's a lot to be learnt for kind of contemporary performance in those histories. Oh, definitely, because, yeah, yeah, with the tradition of corroboree, that was used as ways to communicate and to preserve history. And, you know, there was a a myriad of reasons to to dance, whereas Australian dance is a bit complex in its own way too because, I mean, Australian theatre is a bit the same where it's its identity has kind of sprung a bit more from the English tradition, but then it's been trying to find its own as well. And, yeah, it's really kind of cool that both... Indigenous and Australian culture has its own kind of integration of cultures a little bit too. 
Well, that feels like a nice positive place to end the first podcast. So I'm going to say thanks to uh, Ben Keane for uh, the recording. And thank you for subscribing. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you.